keep going. Hello. Welcome back to the Keep Going Podcast. In this episode, we dive into what we have craftfully termed the four systems of the apocalypse. The four horsemen are the musculoskeletal system, the tendons, ligaments, and bones, and how they act, react, function, and coordinate. The cardiovascular system is the heart, the lungs, and the role they play in getting oxygen and blood to wherever they need to be. The metabolic system a.k.a. energy systems, or how the body is fired and fueled for endurance. And finally, the nervous system, the brain, spinal column, peripheral nerves, or what most of us would concern, the mind. So John and I give a rough breakdown of each system, what it's doing, and why it's important in this episode. And I have to say, this was a really tough episode to prep for and execute. There's so much to cover, and we thought we'd be able to do it in like 30 to 45 minutes. Boy, howdy, were we wrong. So what you have here should be considered a primer, not a textbook. And we really try to target the functionality, the practical, real-life ways these systems impact and act in the art of running. So I'll cut to the chase, because this is a long one. Please enjoy this second episode in the system series that we call The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. We hope you enjoy. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. We may get dog inter, inter we may get some dog well, there, barks. There, are, when I was driving in, I, a lot of people were walking their dogs, oh, so yeah. I imagine they're just saying, "Stay clear of my turf, man." Yeah, you guys are. We're coming at you, John and I. San, is it San or San? San. San. Well, he's in. Uh, what Michael's in Italy. So what is without in Italian? It would probably know. be Something fairly like close that. to Spanish. I would yep. think, yep. but I don't know what that is either. Um, and Michael is still on vacation and, um, or his honeymoon, if you want to be a little more specific. So I, I, he gets- Yeah, it's vacation with a lot of fucking- <laughs> <laughs> And apparently a lot of pasta, because I've seen lots I've a of lot pictures. Of, I've seen a lot of coffee too. I've seen a lot of coffee. A yeah. lot of coffee. A lot of coffee yes. and a lot of- Bowls of pasta. <laughs> we saw a few pizza. Yeah. Ever since he left Naples, it doesn't look like he's hitting yeah. the pizza joints as right. much. But yeah, so John and I are uh, meeting at my house in the hood of Austin, Texas. Michael lives in um, a Tony part of town. Um, and I live in the last remaining uh, pocket of, of some significant natural beauty because there's trees everywhere. But also the local McDonald's the first day we moved in um, had two people murdered at it. So it's <laughs> it, it's the it's the last neighborhood that doesn't have uh, three story Scandinavian farmhouses in them. Yeah, Brentwood's gone. <laughs> Brentwood is gone. <laughs> it's crazy. That's where my daughter goes to school. So and that's where your kids went to elementary school. You're right. So we know that neck of the woods pretty well. Yeah, I can't afford to live there. Anymore. Yeah, we couldn't when we bought in, so we ended up Ugh. where we're at. Um, you guys may hear um, some some dogs. I have got two dogs, and they're the outside, but they can bark pretty loud. So if you do, such is life. John, this week, 
We are covering what I consider to be probably the most important part of the system's overarching plan in the sense that this is the shit that like is brass tacks, right. like the most important stuff. Right. And it's stuff that I think um, people understand because they got most of the stuff in high school biology. Right. Um, and if they did any, you know, undergrad biology, then they got a lot more right. of this. And if they got into exercise phys, then they got a lot, lot more right. of it. But it's not talked about very often. Typically in most of the athletes, uh, the, the, the coaches that we'll be referring to over uh, however many episodes we do, they will have sections in each of their bo books or their tomes about what is going on physiologically. Right. Yep. Um, and they do, most of those do a really good job of making it pretty cohesive and understanding. But what we wanted to do was be like, all right, let's do a whole episode where we kind of hit these four systems, kind of break them down, not too deeply, but just hit a big general overview picture. We're thinking this one will end up being 30, 45 minutes. I mean, it could go longer. You and I have a tendency to digress, but... Our idea here is not to yeah. like give you the final word on these four systems. It's more to say, hey, here's a reference. You can go back to this reference because we're talking about a big general picture. And then I think we're going to try to tie the four of them together in a, in a way, in some kind right. of cohesive whole. And then we'll, from there, then we don't have to keep referencing all of the basic fundamentals about mitochondrial density right. or uh, the peripheral nervous system or the polyvagal theory. All that stuff will already have been laid out because we're because we think it's important. So we kind of went a little bit of an unconventional route um, and decided to break this into four systems, which is also the overview of the name of the whole program because not only are we going to be discussing training systems of various coaches throughout this, but we'll be talking about the systems we're training. And so that's what we're covering today. The four systems that we're training, two of them you'll know right away. Well, three of them you'll know right away. The last one you might be a little confused on. So I'm going to cover the, the musculoskeletal system, um, which is where we've got, we'll be talking about biomechanics and form, how the body structurally carries the load and what's going on when we're running. So what's happening when we're running, you know, when we're with, with the gait, with form, with ground contact, and then all that. And then you're going to transition us over to the cardiovascular system right. where we talk about what most people recognize, the, the heart, the lungs, and the, the vascular network that sends oxygen and blood where they need to go and how that operates in the body because that's a system that we're training right. when we're training. Um, in the musculoskeletal system, this is mostly like speed work, strength training, um, stretching, uh, any form drills and those kinds of things people right. do. That's kind of in the musculoskeletal. There are other areas where that comes into play in marathon training right. and other things, but generally we're just doing the big picture. In cardiovascular, this is asked absolutely critical and crucial to every aspect, every single aspect of what's going on um, in a runner's from every step that they're taking and when they're not right. stepping because your heart rate is super important when you wake up in the morning to figure out where that's at. So anyway, we're going to break that down. Then the third one we're going to hit is um, what we're going to call the metabolic system. That may not be as well understood by folks, um, but this is the area where all these running books yeah, have they a, talk about thresholds, the aerobic threshold, the anaerobic threshold, and all that. And it's it's really 
all aerobic, but at the same time, I think it deserves to be explained a little bit more than that. And also give people kind of a, I mean, when you hit, when you hear it on a podcast, or hopefully if we can describe it accurately, I think it'll let people kind of seep, let it seep in in a way where they're not fighting. This is what I always feel like when I'm reading these books. I didn't get, I only got a fundamental, I just got a high school education in, in, in biology. Right. And I probably was not paying very much attention. <laughs> um, and, but then, you know, over the years, as we said on one, another podcast, you and I have been reading every, every single book we, or article we could get our hands yeah. on about these topics for, for many, many, many years. And this cardio, this, this metabolic system, or sometimes it's called energy systems. Right. Um, which really are where we get the idea of pacing and how pacing might operate yeah. and where zones are if you're using a heart rate. Right. So all these things are, this is the area where you're, what we usually think of functionally as training. Yeah. Even and, though the and cardiovascular in, system is what we're training, we're training, we, when we think of training, we think it's this, this right. metabolic and, system. And whenever you, if you were to Google, I would, and this is what I would assume, um, if you were to Google metabolic training, you would probably get, an infinite number of pages of uh, stuff about zone training and all those. So it's now part of the lexicon even in like, if you're really into the phys physiology of it and you're doing hit workouts mm -hmm. and you know, if you're into Tabata and stuff like that, I think in that world, they're like, Meta it's all about metabolic training. I don't know. But well, also, you know, I hear every, every single podcast I hear, I don't listen to many running podcasts, but yeah. the one I do, People are tossing off all these terms and all these words, and hopefully what we'll be doing, I don't know if we'll do it in this episode, but hopefully we'll have a whole episode where we kind of a lexicon. We're like, okay, what is tempo? Right. What is steady? What yeah. is threshold? What are these things? So anyway, we're going to cover the metabolic system. John will be doing that. And then finally, we're going to hit the nervous system, um, and this is what we're training, um, what we might call the mental, right. because in my view, the mind is not, um, everyone thinks of the mind and equates it with the brain, and I'm you guys have heard me say, I just think it's not just the brain. There's a whole lot more going on. So um, I'm going to take the first one. John's going to take the middle two, and then I'm going to hit the last one. Yep. Anything you want to say before we get started? Anything no, I think it's, it's um, I think only to preface what we're doing by saying that a lot of times my vocabulary doesn't exactly jibe up with what the standard physiology terminology is. And if that's the case, I'll kind of give you a heads up because I think sometimes I, I even confuse myself. So well, we'll also check each other because yeah. we have both gone through this stuff, right? Um, hopefully, we can make it a little more interesting. Um, and and in it'll definitely be informative. Hopefully, it'll be interesting. Um, well, I think the thing too is to remember that, like what you said earlier, like how you tie all this up is really what's important. It, all this other stuff is. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to deconstruct all the way down to, you know, ATP and all that kind of stuff. But in the end there, you, you know, once you start talking about mind, that's when you realize that this is all sort of the same thing happening instantaneously all the time. And that's when you're just like, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the most important things that we can talk about at the beginning is this is it's important to realize as we break these systems down 
And as they seem to, as John said, get down into kind of reduced, because this is what science's right. job is. The scientific method is to kind of reduce things down. Um, and um, what we're doing is trying to rem be, keep reminding ourselves and keep thinking about the fact that um, you can reduce, but then you have to bring it back to a whole. So we're not content with looking at the studies that come from exercise physiology labs we want to say, okay, that's great. That's what's happening with this elite level athlete on a treadmill in an artificial environment where they have things jammed in their mouth for, for, for paying attention. And right. they're doing blood lactate tests and doing all these things. But what John and I have been doing for the last 30 plus years is how do you take that stuff and turn it into real life? So we can reduce, but then we have to bring it back to a whole. That's one critical piece. Yep. And then the other caveat I'd like to make is to remind everyone, as we talk about these things, they do end up getting into these sort of scientistic or scientific kind of frames. And to remind ourselves that most of these frames are mechanistic because of the yeah. ease of taking mechanisms and breaking them down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, think yeah. of a car, you take component parts of a car part, you put them together, it works out okay. They are, they're interrelated and interconnected, but the human's body is a very different system. Right. It's not plug and play. It's not bring in and bring out. Um, it's a living, adaptive system. So it's really important that you all recognize, again, as we break these things down, we need to bring it back to a whole. We need to remember we're in a living system. We're not uh, just mechanisms. And I don't think enough discussion of those points is made because people – I hear it all the time. People just think – like I, I, I got off on a long tangent about how training – last time we talked a lot, training. People just want to talk about the interval. Right. The hard session they did. They're not interested in it. They don't, they don't even think about the rest, the recovery, what's going on with all those things. Right. Well, that's the part of the whole. Bring it back to the whole and realize one rep at a certain time isn't really the key thing. And most of the adaptation that's happening is happening in your rest and recovery phases. After you're done, after you've eaten and rested yeah. and slept and gone through your easy runs, that's where a lot of that stuff is going on. All right, so I'm just going to jump in here with um, the first topic, which is the musculoskeletal system. So basically what we're talking about here um, are the bones, the tendons, the ligaments, the muscles, and these each play an incredibly important role in training. Um, some of what we're talking about when we're talking about training in regards to the musculoskeletal system is talking about what we might, what a, what, a, what a physical therapist might call prehab or, or fundamental strength and mobility yeah. and those kinds of things. And so training, this is really, really important because you hear it all the time. Distance runners want to just go out the door and run. We all do it. We don't want to do any of the other little things, the old one percenters right. as they call them sometimes. And this is, but this is the, I mean, the chassis that everything runs on. So you're yep. gonna be talking about the engine and I'm talking about the chassis. Yep. And the chassis needs to be trained and it's getting trained with every foot strike, um, but it also is something that we need to be considering and thinking about. So we're not gonna go into you know how to train this right. area, but what we're talking about is just realize that your bones are critical and crucial. And for many people, their bone health was determined in their nutritional, you know, some of it's genetic, a lot right. of it's genetics. Yep. Then some of it's 
environmental, and then some of it's um, nutritional, yep. what's going on, which you could put environmental category, but it's sort of a separate yeah, yeah. category from that. I think about all I think about all the young people, you know, back in the day we were told, drink milk, remember? Drink milk, it yeah, makes yeah. your bone strong. Now nobody's drinking milk. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's kind of weird. Where are they getting all their bone health? So you're like, but that's not really where we get our bone health. Our bone health comes from landing on the ground and pushing off the ground and landing right. on the ground and pushing off the ground and lifting heavy weights, lifting things that are heavier to create greater bone density and things right. like that. So there's bones, there's um, tendons. Tendons are really important. This is the elastic rubber band slash um, energy storage system in the human body. Yep. So the tendons um, are primarily designed as uh, kinetic energy um, interfaces is how I'd say it. They're like where the muscle. Ooh, that's kind of the power. Yeah, the power that, that comes from good. your muscle has to then get sent into right. a place where it can go work with other muscles. And the, and the tendon does all of that work. So it's basically holding that kinetic elastic energy. The ligaments are there primarily to make sure that everything stays in its right place. Right. Things stay together and that they're not wobbly and moving all around. If you have a, if you if you've got really loose tendons, you see sometimes I'll I have a, I've, over the years I've had um, gymnasts who've decided to run yeah. or swimmers, swimmers. who decide to run because their tendons and li their yeah. ligaments are so flexible and so fluid. They have a lot of hard time getting that kind of strength and having, so their feet flop around a little bit more and they use them as flippers. So yeah. they're harder. So the tendon, the, 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 the ligaments are really important. And then finally, I don't think I have to tell anybody how important the muscles are. Right. We, we all are pretty sure of what's going on with that. So, um, one of the things that I think that's really critical here that people need to understand is that when we talk about gait, when we talk about what's going on with a person's biomechanics or what's going on in the running stride, you could call it stride or you could call it gait. Um, I'm going to break that down for you in just a second. But what's important to be thinking about when you're thinking about gait is basically energy storage and then energy. It, so it's energy stored and energy put back out. Okay. So, and all of that energy is, most of that energy is being held in the tendons. It's also being held in the muscles, the muscles and the tendons working together. Um, so this stored energy is both rigidity, is crucial and critical to have a rigid structure for your bones and everything that's holding on, but then you want this elastic structure. So you have people like, why are you breaking this all the way down? Because runners are supposed to be tight. This is one of the reasons why I'm not a big believer in stretching and why I think a lot of the stretching stuff, it doesn't mean that I don't think that people shouldn't stretch yep. from a training perspective. It's just that that's probably less important than being mobile. Being flexible is probably right. less important than being mobile. So it's like you have that rigidity and elasticity that's the big focus here uh, because there's stored energy there. That's how you're using the stored energy. And I think everybody should think about that as like rubber bands. These yeah. are a series of rubber bands. Um, there's a term called tens, tensangrity, which is tensional integrity. This came up, Bucky Fuller, mm. Buckminster mm, yeah, Fuller yeah. came up with this yeah, idea, yeah, yeah. his geodesic dome mm -hmm. and things like that. It's that these multiple things that aren't touching together, right. that are in direct contact, are, are absolutely impacting each other. When we think about biomechanics in the running form, you're talking about bones being needed to be moved, but the bones don't touch usually, or right. very rarely, if they almost don't touch at all. What's being held are all these other structural pieces that are in play. And I think this is super important for people to keep in head in their head when they think about my running mechanics and my biomechanics. Okay, so that's the foundations. So what's going on when we're running? 
can break it down into two basic phases. I think almost all biomechanists break it into two phases. Probably there's some seriously focused people who have like 35 phases, but we're just going to, you know, people can break it all down to break it all down. Flight uh, 4A and flight 4B. Yes. Yeah. There's there's time on the ground and time in the air. Those are two ways to talk about it. Okay. Um, There's the, but but, but the way biomechanists talk about is stance and flight. Those are the two fancy terms. So stance is, can be broken down, down into four phases. So stance is you're, in the air, and your, let's say your right leg comes to the ground. When your right leg comes to the ground, it's typically um, making ground contact for most people slightly in front of your body's center of gravity or under, underneath your body. The more, the more biomechanically efficient a runner is, the closer that falls um, that's just barely in front of their center of gravity, right? So there won't be any breaking because right. what happens is in that gate form is that when you when you put that foot on the ground, if your heel's hitting first, is why people are like well, you need to be on the balls of your feet. If your heel hits first, you're breaking, and um, but that's the first ground contact wherever your foot lands. So we call that um, con- foot contact, right? Then your body comes under. Then the foot comes underneath your body. That's called the stance. That's where your body's like basically. Whole, all those tendon ligaments muscles I was just talking about, they are doing unbelievable amounts of work. Think about this. How many times your body weight has been blasted on the ground and all those tendons ligaments muscles are all micro-adjusting on the road? If you're on the trail, they're micro-adjusting even more crazily. So crazy stits going on. And it's all happening under the hood. You are not conscious of it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you're essentially doing a one-legged hop. Correct. And it, I mean... That's a, that's a coordination over skill and over too. and over and yeah. over and over and over. Yes. Then there's um, then there's push off. Okay. There's a, then there's the push. That's where you're basically by taking all that energy that got stored by landing on the ground, and it is now in those tendons, ligaments, muscles, and now it's pushing out the back, pushing off. That pu- that pushing is um, the next phase, and then you go into the last phase, which is toe off. Which is where your foot is basically last ground, last contact in the air, and then it and then it flies. Now, there's th- if we talk about the flight pattern, there's basically three phases with that. First, there's basically butt kick. Um, then there's the swing, as Steve Magnus and D- J D Sheree like to say, the slingshot. And then there's the shin swing. Okay, so what that is is as your foot pushes off the ground, your knee, your 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 heel comes up towards your butt. All of those mechanics are happening behind your butt, right? Then as it reaches that whatever height, your flexibility and power that you put out, um, it reaches height. Then it starts to start to come back the other way. And when it comes back the other way, this is the slingshot. What happens when you slingshot something? You get the fuck out of the way when you shoot the right. slingshot. Don't. Don't control it. Don't move it. Don't do anything. Just let it do what it does. And that means that that heel then comes forward and it drives that knee up. So you do not need to do any right. actual knee drive yourself. It's all done naturally with the biomechanics. And then just as your body, this is your your heel, your ankle gets through your center of gravity, the foreleg starts to shin, starts to swing forward. Your femur or your shin comes out in front of you. And then your foot is looking for its ground placement. So that's the gate. Those are the four and three aspects of the stance and the flight. And 
You know, this is an area that I like to talk about because there's a lot of confusion, a lot of discussion about form and biomechanics. Yep. And, you know, tr perennially in our day, John, no coach would touch this with a 10-foot pole. Right. They, this is back in the, before 2000. Yeah. The standard operating coaching statement was, you got what you got. Yeah. Um, we might do some drills and some mobility and some flexibility to try to help you. But we don't try to change biomechanics because if we try to change biomechanics, bad things happen. Right. And that's a pretty rule. Good. It's it's something that I held to for a long time. I don't agree with that anymore. But I get it. I get why coaches yeah. said that. Then you know, in two thousand to two till today, now we've got like ten different trademarked and patented <laughs> systems of how you do your biomechanics from. <laughs> You know, from uh, Danny, what was his name? Chi running. Chi running was Danny. Danny Mc. No, it's Asian name. Um, anyway, Dan. Danny, yeah. Danny, I, he said Dan. Uh, there's Chi running. Then there was the pose pose method. The Russian guy who yep. wants you to lean forward. Yep. There. Well, they also. So does Chi running kind of wants you to move forward. And uh, there's there's tons of different models and modalities out there. Um, when we think about training your biomechanics um, one of the, in form, I like to think of this in two basic ways. And I do think you can train it, and I do think it's something for people to look into, and um, maybe we'll get a chance to cover it in depth at some point. Um, but I like to say there's a top-down way to manage your biomechanics, and there's a bottom, a ground-up way to do it. Yep. So that, And what, with top-down, you're talking about from your hips up, so your hips, your trunk, um, your arms, your shoulders, your neck, and your face. And there are cues and ways that you can start to pattern yep. the way you hold your body and things that are pretty easy to adjust and manage and pretty safe to do. Um, and cueing is a basic verbal, it's a language, short language bursts to try to get you to change what's going on. Um, lots to unpack here. We don't have time to do it today. But I do think... There's a lot to be gained from a top-down approach with right. biomechanics. I try to work on that with my athletes. Um, in the past, you might have heard it by levers and lines, like yeah. arms are levers and where do your levers go and keep it in a straight line. Although, interestingly enough, our shoulders, you know, our, our, right. our shoulder is not 90 degrees. It's turned a certain direction. Yeah. So your, bot, your arm should never go diametrically perfectly forward in a parallel line because your bio that would be too much tension and work. Because then you're a robot. And then your scapula would have to work a lot. Yeah, then your scapula <laughs> would have to do all this work. So it's like, it's not really true. But if you could think about those things in terms of top down. The other approach I like to take, and this is what I focus most of my athletes on, um, is a ground up. And that's focusing on your ground contact. There's a microseconds that you're on the ground. You have the ability to have a felt sense experience to understand and feel how your foot is hitting on the ground and that push off and how that push off works. And you can control that. And if you can control that um, and get a sense of it and you can control how much push off you have, then you are having an incredibly varied stride length based on the speed that you're trying to run. Yep. And this is something I think is really important. We talked about this a couple of months, a couple of months ago about cadence and the ridiculousness of data metrics on cadence. Yeah. Um, because they really aren't that important. Yep. Um, everybody should have a different cadence, and if you run at different paces, you should have a different someone cadence. Someone who's 6'6 six, six is going to have a different cadence than someone who is 4'9". And if somebody's if two 6'6 six, six guys are running and one guy's yep. running at six-minute pace and the other one's running at 5'30 pace, they should have different 
right. cadence. So cadence is really not what we're talking about here. But um, anyway, I just wanted to bring that up and 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 cover that. And then the the last thing I want to talk about when we're talking about this is. Um, so biomechanics is efficiency. So that's how how do the moving parts work together to create the most simple and least costly way of working. It's just it's how they're all interlinked. But then there's another term we call speed economy, and speed economy is the amount of energy it takes right. to do that. And so what I work a lot on is the speed. And so I, don't, I don't work on efficiency so much. I mean, I do by making verbal cues to athletes when I see them run. Um, but I mostly work on ground contact, and I want to work on, on speed economy to try to put the most, give a person a sense of feeling what it feels like to push off the ground. Yep. Because I think that it's the one place you can make the biggest bang for your buck, and it's the greatest thing to train. So I spend a lot of time. I spend one day a week, every week, training speed economy. And I try to do it with intention so that they bring a, a real focus on what they're doing. It's not just grab-assing. Because I have a real problem with drills, form drills. I do them with pro athletes and college athletes. I would do them with high school athletes and youth athletes if I had a discrete amount of time in which I could really focus on that and pay attention to it. But when I'm working with marathoners that are meeting me at 5.30 in the morning and yeah. they've got to go pick their kids up and go to have yeah, breakfast you, and do all these things, we, we don't have time to do drills. Mm -hmm. And even if we did have time to do drills, you know what they do? No, there's no offense to them, but they're all chatting about whatever, having a grand old conversation, paying zero attention right. to what they're doing with their drills. There's no intention. There's no attention. No one's giving them feedback. It's a fucking waste of time. Right. My opinion is if you aren't doing for, if you're doing form drills and you are not in your own world focusing really intently on that, then you're doing something wrong. You need yeah. to be paying attention. Or leave it alone. Run fast. Run fast two times a week. Strides and then do something a little bit faster, more powerful. Get a sense of what your top-up, your top-down biomechanics are doing. Get yep. a sense of what your ground-up biomechanics are doing and pay attention to those things. Because these things are all happening kind of on a polarity. So you have movement and a counter-movement. If your arms are yep, moving, yep. then you have a counter-movement with your legs. If your legs are moving, it's being countered by your arms. That's it's a polarity. It's how these work. It's like what is it? What are the agonist antagonist? If you've got yeah, force yeah. of pushing off the ground, you've got the counter force of the air contact and the time you're spending in the air. So it's really important. I think it's really helpful when we talk about the the musculoskeletal system. That idea of tensegrity, the idea of of force and counter of counters and, and polarities yep. can be very helpful for people when they're thinking about these things. And as we go into the discussion, let's say, of Lydiard's hill phase, we can talk in his hill phase about what he's primarily doing is trying to train this musculoskeletal system to right. operate really, really at a high level by storing energy, storing power. They with hills are speed in disguise. Mm -hmm. He was the, one of the very first people to really pay attention to that and bring that in. Yep. He did weird horsey drills going up. up. He did hills on drills like what yep. Paul Carosa does. So Lydiard, when we talk about him, we're going to yeah. be talking about how important it was for him to be working this. Same thing, Percy Surity, the guy... The other Australian, great Australian coach, he had John Landy sprinting up sand, sand dunes, dunes yeah. trying to work on that musculoskeletal system. So this is at least 25% of the story, people. Okay, so if we're, we're just going to theoretically give equal weight, equal weight. And I do think, I was thinking about this earlier, John, of these four systems, we'll break this down later because it's a good way to close. But of these four systems, 
is it 25% musculoskeletal, 25% cardiovascular, 25%? Like, do would it play out that way or does it not? It's kind of interesting yeah, to think Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think just because there are four systems, you could quarter them, right? But because, yeah, it's. I think it's all of the... <laughs> I, think <laughs> it, I think it can have a really good theoretical I'm starting discussion. To just like, I'm about to go off. But <laughs> yeah, I think depending on the situation, there's going to be one system that is... Probably, you know, like what's the most common lay way to, if you have an Indy car or an F1 car with an engine that is too big for the chassis mm-hmm. or too strong for the chassis, it's gonna blow. you're not going to make a lap. Or the tires yeah, aren't the right tires. Or- so, and so it, yeah, in the end, it's all one, it's all e- equit important, right? But, at each given moment, maybe different things are coming more into play, well, or being, or or you need to focus on something in your training more than the others. Think about, I think, running is probably the last of the endurance sports that have actually taken form and mechanics and like and taken them seriously. I right? mean, swimmers, swimmers from the beginning. It's that's all technique. Um, of course, then if you you know you have to have lungs, you know, the size of a small dog or whatever, yeah. but. Um, and cyclists, for sure, they're like all about position and getting as aerodynamic as possible. And cyclists are taking it a little far, maybe. But, but take- runners have really rarely talked about that kind of uh-huh. stuff. And it's important not to... Fu- and everybody thinks that, that there's like an ideal. But really, there's only an ideal for each individual. Correct. And in most cases all that ideal needs to be is good enough for that particular task, right? So, um, however, we do sometimes see people patterning over and over again really horrible patterns. I yeah, see this a yeah, yeah, lot yeah, in yeah. marathoning. This is one of the primary concerns yeah. with when we're talking about marathoners is that late in races, they're, they're so fatigued. They're, they will, as we go into the into the um, into the uh, metabolic system, we've run out of fast, those fast those slow twitch muscle fibers are just cooked. They're 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 running on empty on fuel. They're been used over and over again, and they're very very tired. And the mind, the nervous system is incredibly fatigued and tired. And so now we see biomechanics that are completely different than the biomechanics we see when somebody's running at mile three and mile thirteen. Right. And so. The strength training, the specific work you do, the cueing and paying attention to your biomechanics when you're tired are as critical and crucial in training oh, yeah. as they are as they are when you're as as is you know whatever late long quality runs you're doing where you're focused. If you're if your long quality run at the end of it isn't also taking into account biomechanics and this musculoskeletal system, right. then maybe you're missing on you know a huge difference maker. I have an athlete I work with who she just ran. Um, really fast race out at uh, Mountains to Beach. And one of my other athletes was out there and saw her pass. And she said, oh, is she the one who had her chin all the way up to the sky? And I'm like, yeah, that's how she runs at the end of the run. She ends up sort of drifting her chin up to the top because yeah. that's, as she fatigues, that's where it sits. And it's yeah. like totally not efficient. And I was like, oh, thank you for that. I've got another minute off of her race time I can get by working on right. head placement, biomechanics, cueing, and working on those yeah, yeah. things. Uh, easily 
just by doing those kinds of things. So, so that's the musculoskeletal system. John, why don't you start leaning into yep. the uh, cardiovascular system? Tell us a little bit about well, that. I, I like the way we've sort of segued because you talked about muscular musculoskeletal within the you know context of being able to hold your body up at the end of a marathon or Ironman or whatever. And when most people, when they're talking about training are really, I would bet like 80%, if you polled just a random group of people in any training group, 80% of the people would immediately answer that training, uh, the cardiovascular or metabolic system is, is the primary goal. Um, Nearly every system. I thought that way all through high school and college. I oh, yeah. Not, oh, yeah. My dad would talk about lifting weights or doing stretches and doing drills. I said, what the fuck? That's just a waste of time. I don't know why. I just, I'm, I'm an, I've got a tiny little engine. I can make my engine bigger. But now I'm realizing, oh, these things work a lot better if you work them at the same time. And yeah. Work well, you know, like uh, what's the old Daniels, uh, the thing of specificity, right? So you sh- if you want to get good at running, you should just run. But then running involves a lot of other things the structure, right? The chassis and the engine is the cardiovascular, you know, then, you know, kind of slash metabolic system. The cardiovascular system is your heart and your vessels that carry blood to and from the heart to the lungs, to the muscles. And you're, think of it as like, um, this this big like tree branch right the and the tree itself the trunk of the tree is the heart and then all the vessels reach out and you think you're born with like um, well i'm just not a natural athlete but because the heart is a muscle it can be trained so that's why I think it's it's really important. It not only is it delivering oxygen, like which is what everybody's talking about all the time anyway. When you go metabolic or in your discussion, and you start talking about aerobic and anaerobic, but the the cardiovascular system cleans out waste, right? CO two. Um, then when you get into metabolic and you start talking about lactate and all that kind of stuff, that's all part of that too. So. It's kind of like the, from the lay perception, it's like the fundamental thing you would start talking about ultimately, because I think it's the most ubiquitous in discussion and probably the easiest to understand, right? Because everybody's like heart and lungs, veins, right? And then when you add that into whatever work you're doing, then you have to start talking about the metabolic system. Right, because the metabolic system is where the fuel comes into it. Right, the, if the heart and lungs is sort of the delivery um, and and I guess collection system for all of that stuff for the blood, then you've got the the metabolic system, which is a more about the discussion of the fuel itself. Right, um, uh, Shikari uses uh, primarily uh, the first system, which would uh, be uh, the phos... Hold on. 
phosphagen. I knew it. <laughs> but I had to go back through all my old, um, <laughs> my old physiology stuff. So she's burning pure ATP, right? Mm -hmm. That's the first ATP is what you need. All the fuel you intake eventually, if you're doing any sort of work about anything from lifting a cup to running, you know, the, the Pacific coast trail or whatever, you're, you're burning ATP. How you get to that point um, is dif differs based on uh, what kind of work you're doing. Like sprinters, anything like 10 seconds or less, that's all phosphagen system, right? Then the glycogen. I call that the free energy. Free, when I have athletes, right. high school athletes and college yeah. athletes running cross country, I'm like, go out fast the first five to eight seconds. Yeah. Why? It's like, it's free. You'll never use it again. It'll never come back <laughs> yeah, again. You've got it there. Yeah. And, then, and they're always like, I don't want to go out fast. I want to come from behind. You can come from behind after the first 50 meters, but yeah. get out the first 50 yeah. meters. Then you can see everything that's going on. And yeah. it was completely burn free. A little, yeah. Burn a little bit. Burn the free shit. <laughs> it's free. Um, AT, uh, adenif I'm going to geek out. Adenosine triphosphate. Yes. But um, the we don't think about training that system like if, if we have a group of people who are marathoners and half marathoners, we never think about training that system because we don't think of it as important to the marathon event, right? But all the stuff that happens when you train that system supplements your aerobic and high-end aerobic and all that other stuff you're doing really, really well. So I think it has been um, a lot of lessons from sprint coaches have uh, been ad uh, adopted by endurance coaches because it's re it's fundamentally functional, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's it's for you know sprint training in a lot of ways is functional training for marathoners, right? If you do sprint training up a hill, you know it's you get a little bonus, right? Because you're working against gravity. The so, only problem I have with that is only one area of that that can get confusing. Because I think that when, you know, high school kids are sitting there, some of our listeners might have run in high school and they yep. listen to their sprint coach and they're coming out of the blocks and they start to fatigue and they, they say, what do they say? Drive your knees. Drive your Drive knees. Drive your yeah. knees. And, you know, it's a pretty good, efficient, it, what they're doing with that cue is they're getting them to push off the ground high. Right. Yeah. And then as they've pushed off the ground, they're helping that slingshot we were talking about earlier get that shin swing out in front of them because they're moving so fast yeah. that it can get out in front of them a little further and they break a tiny little bit. Um, but I think that distance runners, because their stride length is so much shorter, that if they're driving their knees. Yeah. They're going to spend way they, too much time in the air. And they spend a lot of energy unnecessarily. That's not the say that stored um, elastic energy that's there, that's kinetic, that's just there free for the using. They, they end up forcing it to yeah. drive up. But that right. would be the only other thing. But I do think I, I, I preach, I do a lot of working on running fast because I think what you're exactly talking about, it helps the whole system. It yeah. helps everything well, all the way around. Well, particularly once you get above the age, you know, and this may be too specific, um, but once you're beyond like 40 years old, sprint training is really, really important. Not that it increases the number of muscle fibers you have, but it helps you maintain yeah. muscle fibers, right? Yep. That's why they think it's important for, they, they think it's important for 
masters, marathoners to do a little more weights than, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're used to, to keep those muscle fibers strong enough because as you get older and begin to lose power, right? Your stride gets shorter, right? And you're spending the same amount of energy. So that I think sprint training is really important in that sense, but it can also be overdone. And can if, you, if you're not doing that kind of stuff, really relaxed at the same time, you're going to get injured. But. So thinking about it from the cardiovascular system, if we're saying, let's think about it, the, uh, um, a, a, a brief period of time in the life of an oxygen molecule. <laughs> it comes into your mouth. What happens? Like, so where does it go? So it comes in your mouth. It goes down your in, trachea into your lungs. lungs so then, right. then what, what happens from there? Right. What, what happens to the oxygen? So the oxygen uh, is transferred then into the blood, pumped through and via the heart, pumped to the furs of filtered and pumped through filtered it. and yep. pumped through the farthest reaches of your body all the way to the fingertips and toes um oxygen and cleaning products um affect every single organ soft tissue cell cell and i think one of the things too is that we when we're all we think about oxygen in the blood, we're not think we rarely talk about the nutrients that are involved, and all of that stuff. In the same way that we do supplemental, like we think of training as just like aerobic versus anaerobic and all this stuff, we, but really we're trying to talk about making looking at it as a whole. And I think when you're talking about oxygen going through the blood it's better to look at it as a whole when we include all the nutrients and healing properties and things like that, which then goes back to what you were talking about, which was in the training is not really the hard work you did, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the stuff that happens outside. The balancing. The balancing. The, the trying to create a new balance. And we've, whenever we are deconstructing and we get down into the oxygen part, I think people oftentimes exclude that you're you're not just fueling your body for athletics but that you're fueling your body for athletics within the context of being alive the rest of the time right so um the the metabolic systems are like it's it's a whole industry of uh, on its own now right hmm. so um, the glycolytic system, glycolytic, uh, glycolysis, sugar, right? And then lytic is like the breakdown of, right? Mm -hmm. If we're going to be wordsmiths. The, but how we do that and when we do that is sort of where you put your focus. Mm -hmm. So uh, a sprinter, like we talked about, is just using the phosphagen system, Right. Then the um, anybody doing work up to six, seven minutes maybe is using a lot of um, the glycolytic system, which some people will call the anaerobic system. Mm -hmm. And then um, anything five, six, seven minutes and longer then is oxidative and oxygen oxidative we gather all that stuff. 
the balance of those three metabolic systems is important according to your uh, your event, your end goal. So um, people who are marathoners focus on um, marathon pace, long reps, um, long, slow running, things like that, because they're thinking only in um, the oxidative metabolic. They think they're, they're just thinking in that realm only when you really like you, you can't make that pie without all of that stuff together at the same time. Like what we were talking about when we talked about training everything all at once and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, the percentages are confusing enough that over time, uh, along the aerobic system, I've kind of just cut everything off at 80, 85, 90, and 95. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by that? So that's what I'm going to explain. So like when, and I've always kind of gone by heart rate reserve, right? Mm -hmm. So different levels of work, your heart beats uh, and pushes blood around the body at different rates. 80% of heart rate reserve, which is the difference between your maximum heart rate and your resting heart rate. So a lot of people, when they talk about max heart rate, they use it, at, they start at zero. But you really, I think, if you start at your resting and take that difference, that's a, that's a, a much more accurate gauge. So when you're giving these numbers, uh, so a person like myself, my resting heart rate, I'm kind of tachycardic, so it's probably, I don't know, 60, because yeah. I'm, I'm not... I'm not as young chicken as I used to be. Right, right. And my max is probably at my age is 180 or 190 yeah. maybe. Um, yeah. It kind of fits, so I don't know what it would actually be. You're saying the number between 60 and 180 is the critical, I think, is the heart rate reserve. Right. And that's what we should be talking about percentages of. Yeah, and that's so, sort of, you know, because then people uh, you're never talk about percentages use, of VO2 max, right? right? Everybody's got all these different percentages. And they're and when you line them up with race paces, they're all kind of within the, mm-hmm. you know, some will be eighty eight, and some will be eighty nine, mm-hmm. some will be ninety, and but I so I always kind of round because maybe yeah, I'm just not all the math stuff, so eighty percent would be marathon, eighty five would be half marathon, um, then you'd have to discuss threshold, like if you want, like what people call threshold pace. Mm-hmm which is when the body starts producing so much um, lactate that it can't use it efficiently as fuel. And, and this happens in short races, also happens in the marathon. Right. Because even though it's 80%, there's right. a place, this is why I think you've got that mix of fueling issues, that's the wall, but it's also the beginnings for most people at the same place where your fueling issue is a problem is the right. same time when the duration of the event actually starts to play in to where you start to having, you have lactic accumulation that's not being able to be yeah. well used, which can be very problematic. And concurrently you and start shocking, having... And shocking to people. And yeah. particularly when you're having concurrently, your chassis is starting to uh, fail apart. a little bit, you know, and then the red, then the mind comes into it and all the lights go off so that's why this is so much fun because you're like, oh yeah, it's just a big circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so eighty percent. What did they like? Daniels says 
up to 75% is where you run your easy stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so I always think of, I've always put it at anywhere, easy is anything that includes recovery. So 60% to 75%. And then marathon-ish in the terms of, the met, if we're talking about metabolic systems would be about 80%. Mm-hmm. And then I've always added 5% because a, uh, there were a bunch of people who were like, well, and this, this may be outdated. Well, if you look at it, if you uh, take 5% of your marathon time um, and in half, then that's your half marathon time. Or if you take your half marathon time, uh, add 5% and then double it, that's your marathon time. Mm-hmm. And for a while it was pretty accurate, but then you have, you know, now you have super fuels and super shoes and which change a lot of things, right? And the, all those external variables. Um, then 90%, so 88% would be threshold. Mm-hmm. And then... This is where the oxygen, your, your body is using glycogen for fuel right. and oxygen for fuel. Yep. And, but you're running out of oxygen and it can't... And it's also using lactate for fuel. Lactate for fuel. But the oxygen can't can't clean out the, you can't get rid of the lactate fast enough. So basically poisons your system. Yep. Um, and it's, it's actually a fuel. It's positive. It's good, but it's not good to a point that it starts to become a problem. Right. And it can't get, it's good until it, uh, until it's bad. Until it's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's when you see, you know, more often in, in the marathon, but that's when you see people like running sideways because they kind of don't know where they are and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ninety percent was half marathon, and ninety five no, ninety percent was ten k ish, mm-hmm. and then ninety five percent was five k. And you probably have ninety seven. Yeah. At three k, which yeah. I put three k. I mean, we talked about this before last time. I think I don't know if you agreed with me, but I remember Coach V Hill telling me any athlete that can do whatever they can do for their mile, they should be able to do what you can do for your 1500. You should be able to do, do for, for your three K physiologically. But the problem is that the nervous system can't handle yeah. that load. you mentally can't handle it. You can't conceive of it. You're not used to that kind of pain. He said, but there's no real reason why we couldn't right. under duress. And so, but people just don't have enough duress to yeah. make that happen. Yeah. It, Which is why Daniel Komen 720 and sub eight minute, you know, seven twenty three k and sub eight minute thirty two hundred are just mind boggling in there. Um, That's why I think like if you're gonna train, the if you're gonna use like a real mind body uh, sort of template for training, and you're not talking about how to psychologically endure the discomfort that you know is coming, you're doing you're you're really not giving the per, your athlete like the full picture. Right. You know I what agree. I mean? I and agree. And you, um, like, like um, Bob Kennedy, who, you know, some people may not even remember who he is, but dude, that dude was the man. Oh, sorry. Uh, that guy was the man for a long time. The, was he the, he was the First American for sure to go under 13 minutes for the 5K. Right. Um, I don't know if he was the first non-African or whatever. Mm-hmm. I can't remember that part, but 
it may have been who's the German guy with the toothpaste. Um, it may have been him, but I can't remember. The um, Dieter Baumann. Dieter Baumann. He was an Olympic gold medalist. I should have. <laughs> but um, the the whole idea that you're just training the aerobic system or the anaerobic system takes. 60% of the discussion off the table. Mm. You know what I mean? So tell, break that down a little bit. Give somebody an idea. What do you mean by well, that? Well, like I, th you know, when you were talking about, um, you, you know, you do speed training all year round. At the same time you're doing that, you can incorporate, you do the speed training, but under the instruction of um, get used to this feeling in this in this moment mm -hmm. of what it feels like to be moving through space mm -hmm. at this rate, mm -hmm. right? With these mechanics at this level of relaxation. And you're going to practice that so often that when you get shot in the face with a bazooka, you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's why I think repetition yeah, it we're, is so important. Yeah, we're going to segue into nervous system in just a second. Oh, sorry. that's what you're talking <laughs> like, about. I was like, but I just wanted to make sure our listeners heard it because we didn't have a clear distinction between cardiovascular and metabolic. You went yeah. right into it. You did a great job, but it just went right into it. So the well, cardiovascular... Yeah, system, and that's my fault because I sort of think of them as the same. Although they I are the same, but just for our listeners so they can understand right. our... You know, you got oxygen and blood. That's the cardiovascular system used by the heart. It's not really a pump. It's more of a more doing a lot more things than just a pump, but it's easy to think of it that way. Just like the lungs are also a filter. It does a whole bunch of other stuff. But the idea there is just that that stuff is um, under the hood, autonomic, not controlled very much, and your general training principles and theories are all going in to generally take care of that. There's not a lot of work you need to be doing on your right. heart and your lungs. Um, there are breathing exercises you can do. There there is um, visualization stuff you can do, but now we're into that yeah. nervous system mind yeah. thing where we're, well, but because yeah, it's you're autonomic. doing the work, all that stuff is going to happen. Correct. That's why I think it's important why we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about the cardiovascular system because it kind of takes care of itself. It really does. This is like the, the part of the, the part of being a human that's fucking amazing, like just right. takes care of itself. Now, the piece here you were talking about metabolic with all the energy systems and or where the fueling structure comes in between aerobic and anaerobic. I love that you said, hey, this stuff is important. It's incredibly important. But I think that a lot of people get off on this a little bit too much. Um, and I've got two arguments here. I'm going to make them both see how they fly with you before we transition to the nervous system. Oh, yeah. The first one is at the end of the day, it seems to me – that the race distances that we traditionally train for align pretty well with these exercise yeah. physiology created energy system barrier positions where these things happen. We've got, they're happening on a continuum. I'm going to use this term later, spectrum. Right. Okay. But that it's really convenient to say, do it at half marathon pace rather than saying you do it at your aerobic threshold. Right. Because if I say aerobic threshold, somebody might not know what that is. And somebody may actually translate threshold as conditioning or they may use it because, you know, the, the, uh, the, the beautiful blue book by um, 
Martin & Co. It uses aerobic conditioning and aerobic right. power and different terms. So to me, it's just like I've always just used one mi- my, on my sheet. I have one mile, 3K, 5K, 10K, critical velocity, which is this weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funky. 10K plus. It's 10K plus or half marathon minus, whichever <laughs> yeah. way you want. And it's actually right in between those yeah. two. And it's fucking gold mine of work to do. Yeah. I think this is where the millimole stuff comes in. Yep. Where you start seeing that three millimole work. I think this is what a lot of Ingebrigtsen's and all those guys are doing. We've been doing it in the at, at, in my system. We've been doing it for 10 plus 15 years. We kind of stumbled on it and because you could do broken tempos yeah, and those yeah. kinds of things. That seems to be what we're saying. Then you move to half marathon and then you move to marathon. These are just super convenient. They're what your race requires. They actually hit these energy systems. So I just use those. So yeah. just so people know, when we talk about these other programs, they are going to use fancy names and fancy terms. But for our, for and I think, John, I think you'll probably, you probably won't agree with me as much as I believe this, but I think, can we just dispense with all this bullshit and just talk about we're we are running races. Right. Anybody that's racing is running yep. races. And and yes, many people, especially in this part of the country or this town, they're really marathon centric. I don't know why, but they are. But they still train the three K pace, the five K pace, right. the ten K pace. Why? Because that's the way we build a really, really, really functional, varied bomb-proof, resilient, incredibly fluid and responsive machine. So we do those. But why call them all these crazy names? Why don't we right. just stay, since we're racing, why don't we just use those race terms? So I'm just going to make that argument. No, what, I, what do you think about I'm, that? I'm, I'm fully behind that. And I've, uh, I sort of transitioned into that just because it felt like an easier way to communicate. I feel like I'm you know so I, mean? du- I do too, but I feel like I'm dumb when I say it because all these other coaches are like, "Yeah, but you need to do it at this." I don't know, and I'm like, oh, "It's okay, I get that." I, can't. I you it, know what? I it my, I know athletes, too, and I'm inclined to I because I like using all these scientific terms, but I found out that like by just sort of like watching facial expressions and things like that, if I communicate using terms that for whatever reason appear more real world. People, people learned faster, and so that I was kind of like, you know, and also because a lot of a lot of stuff that comes from a lab is really cool, but it doesn't always directly apply right. to what you're doing out on Town Lake or wherever you are. So, yeah, I 100% agree. So then my next point is, everything's on a spectrum. So these discrete little pockets that exercise physiologists call these different zones or different, they've got these different terms, VO2, um, uh, threat, anaerobic threshold, aerobic threshold, these, these, yep. these, these terms. They're all, um, they're all using languaging. They all, they, they fall into these pockets like we just talked about that also work really well around the paces. So we've got that. But I think that what happens is then people think that if I, if my coach said, do 5k pace um but it's hot humid i'm tired my life is stressful but all i can hit is 10k pace right then they feel like they had a bad workout right and i'm like no i think you get a benefit at every single second along that spectrum from 5k back to 10k Mm -hmm. now you may not get the full the exact benefit that you thought you were getting but you're still getting some benefit so i think it's really important for our listeners to recognize there is 
as long as your biomechanics are still quality and that you're still feeling all right in terms of your overall felt sense experience, right. if you're slower, there's probably a really good reason for it, which we're going to talk about in a second. So don't worry about it. So if you're two seconds per 400 slow, you're still getting a benefit from that work. It's right. not like that work doesn't, it's not like it falls off a cliff and there's no benefit. Right. So I just want our listeners to realize there's a benefit all the way up the spectrum. This is why I call it a spectrum. I like a spectrum system. It just, it values everything all along the line. And it yeah. just says you fall where you fall on any given day, you're still getting a huge benefit. And, and likely, depending on what the kind of conditions are and everything else, you may be getting exactly the benefit that you were trying to Let's say if you're doing a workout in a 75-degree morning with 90% humidity, that that pace per mile of, say, seven minutes might be worth the 645 that you might have been running yeah. in a 50-degree day. Yep. So, therefore, then you actually are working on your marathon pace, yeah. in essence. And so let's not worry about that stuff. So I say that stuff. I think it's important to say it in here when we talk about that cardiovascular and metabolic system is, hey, these things are not discreet. The, the physiologists and everybody else want you to think they're discrete. They're not so discrete. Just just look at them as a continuum or a spectrum that is useful and beneficial for your training and then see where things line up. Because the next topic about your nervous system says your body's mediating all these things under the hood anyway, whether you like it yeah, or not. Yeah, you yeah. might as well get the biggest bang for your buck out of it. Yeah. And rather than creating negative feedback loops that create, oh, I'm two seconds slower, I'm two seconds slower, then you right. just stay two seconds slower. And if you just said, hey, no, I'm just going to let it be what it is. I'm not going to turn my watch off. I'm not going to pay attention to that much. I'm going to do my best. You get a much bigger benefit out of it. Yep. Yeah, a, a system in uh, homeostasis or in, uh, like in the athletic world, they would, it would be homo, homo um, dynamic state. It would be a dynamic stasis mm -hmm. um, is working much more efficiently than a, a, a system that's not. So if you're, your two second per 400 example, if you're two second slower but you're more relaxed, I'd argue the benefit is even greater. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about this at some point because I've got uh, an exercise physiologist slash rugby coach, but he worked in this, in the, in, he worked for UK athletics for a while. He, I heard this on a podcast and I have been wanting to interview him forever because he said, uh, hey, our, 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 our periodization models and our scientific models are based on a mechanistic old world industrial era model right. that's not relevant for the living systems that we are today. And yep. then we need to reframe and look at those differently. Yep. That was huge. And the other thing he says is we're pretty sure, let's say a kid um, gets in a car accident on his way to practice, um, that if you don't mediate that nervous system, if you don't get him and he's all fritzed out, you, yeah. you're, you're going to go try to do work. And even if he hits your paces, he's only going to get 50% to 70% yeah. of the benefit of that work because yep. he's so somewhere else and so not present and so out of it that you won't get the benefit. So this is a great segue into the nervous system. Yep. So this is something that we've been called in many people's systems. I'll call it the mental. This is the mental training, training, mental stuff. I, I don't know what the fuck the mind is. I have this argument. People who have worked with me for a long time, they're like, okay, I, I, I'll say to them, what, what, what is the mind? Okay, I, I was mental. Well, what is the mind? Tell me, point to yeah. your mind for me. And they always point to their brain. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's, that's where we think it is. But even, and this is a crazy thing. I, I've been reading recently a psychologist um, by the name Greg Enriquez, and he's come up with this grand unified theory of knowledge or grand unified theory of psychology 
because he's realized across, he's done a historical study, he's done a, and he's, he's deep in it in the academic area. He basically realized that none of these different psychological systems actually were using the word mind in a, the same way. They were, they were using them, what they were calling the mind was in a behavioral model, say B.F. Skinner, yeah, yeah. the mind was just pure physiology. Mm-hmm. In a trans, a transhumanist approach, psychology, Carl Rogers, let's say, the mind is some kind of, it's, it's, it's a whole system thing. In Jung's model, the mind includes the unconscious and maybe attributes outside the human body. Yeah. So all these different models, psychological models that we're using for mind or mental, they can't agree on a firm psychological. He's worked hard to create that. And he's got this wonderful, wonderful model for it. It's com- complex and confusing, but it's wonderful. Let me just short circuit everybody just to say our mind is all of the mediating processes that we've developed since we became since we were primates through to becoming homo sapiens and then now even beyond that into our cultural context so this is all the attributes that we've gained through our human body um, which includes the nervous system, which I'll talk about in a second, but also the brain, but also how these things operate and function and how they operate and function over a long historical period. This, to me, may sound confusing, but it is a much better model for understanding why there are certain things that happen um, in the flight-fight response, which we're going to talk about with the nervous system, which doesn't make sense today, but yet we have all these negative reactions mm-hmm. because we're in a scenario where we're still operating on a yeah. nervous system that's basically two million years old, plus maybe longer than that. Depends on how many, how, how far back you want to go, but at least two million um, that this nervous system has been dealing with. And if you think about um, what we've dealt with in terms of even just having uh, um farming and the agricultural revolution that happened say 5,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, that's a blip in the evolutionary process. And so our, what we're calling our mind is this whole nervous system complex that's been dealing with a complex reality of our world. And that aspect is not taken into consideration when we talk about training. Yeah, yeah. So you are a very, very, very evolved ape, but you are an ape. We are not... We are animals. We are not special. Now, we have special characteristics and special skills, which our mind and our ability to have logical justifications and all these other things incredible, has turned us into incredible, but we are still operating as animals right. first and foremost and will be for a very long time. Right. And I think this is, when I, when I say this at the outset, because I think when I'm talking with athletes about the mental stuff or I'm talking to them about their nervous system, I think they glaze over and they think, they think that they're special. I don't mean that they think they're individually special. They just think that humans have something different. No, we act just, we're much more similar to a dog than we are to AI. Much more similar. We are going to have a complex nervous system that's mediating all the yeah. stressors, strides, things that are going on around us. Yeah. Threat, trying to counter threat, dark, light, um, quiet, loud. All these things are being factored and dealt into when we talk about mind. So when I talk about mind, I'm saying, in general, what we're going to do is, I'm going to call it, let's talk about the nervous system first. So the nervous system is the brain. The central nervous system is the brain, the spinal column, okay? And then the peripheral nervous system is all those nerves that then go out and send 
information back and forth to get it. And you can think of the brain as the processing center, but it's not the only processing center because we know our gut processes nervous stuff. So it's a mind as well. The gut is a mind. And then the heart is a mind as well. It has these tissues that operate like a brain cells do. So we've got these mediating local positions. This is in, um, in especially indigenous societies yep. there or even traditional religious societies. They'll talk about a three brain system, having your gut being a yep. brain, your heart being a brain, your mind being a brain. I think this is a really helpful for training. Well, for I running think training. now they're even saying like your fascia Correct. Act, is like its own brain. independent system with it. It's crazy. Yeah, a lot of this revolves around what intelligence is yeah. and how we how we think about intelligence. But regardless, I do think that what's, what I th what I'm hoping to get across to people is that this is a complex adaptive system, and it's designed to keep us safe first. So this is the primary importance of the nervous system, is to keep us safe, and it's going to operate in that area first. And as athletes and as endurance athletes. Um, we are basically simulating worst-case scenario situations on race days. Yeah, yeah. So when we think about having a comp, we think about being mentally tough. You have to realize you are basically throwing yourself artificially into a war situation. So your nervous system cannot distinguish between a war scenario and a marathon. And from my point of view, well, then let's just train as if they're the same. Yeah. Think about them the same. I think this is a better approach than trying to think of how we, uh, uh, than trying to think about how we break it down in some kind of visualization context yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or we try to mechanize it into some kind right. of mental training program or protocol. I think we kind of have to look at ourselves as a holistic, full system, nervous system, mediating all this stuff. First, are we safe? And then are we connected? So, you know, this comes into polyvagal theory, which is, I'm not going to get into, but there's a whole theory that when our body starts to feel unsafe, it starts to throw us into a dysregulated state to fight or we flight. Those are high end yeah, yeah, order, yeah. higher order. Um, and then the one below that is sort of freeze. You can kind of think of this as a hierarchy sometimes when people talk about that, like a, an amphibian or a lizard or a turtle, turtle just freezes, yeah. it just brings itself and retracts and stays there. Right. Whereas, you know, a dog, a, 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 a horse, um, you know, a, ner a, a, a mammal does more flight or fight. They, they, they pick one or they'll do both or they'll yep. figure it out. Dogs are really interesting because they both, they'll play both those <laughs> games back and forth as they'll they They'll do it at the same time. Yeah, sometimes. Um, and then humans are, are, are another order higher in the sense that we are now justifying and looking at, so we're looking at all these things and we're trying to justify a cultural element because humans have this massive new order operating where we're relating to each other, talking to each other and justifying our own actions and things. So now we've got another higher order, which is what I would call connection. Right. So we need to connect. So the lowest is safety. The next one is acquire, get shit. And then that's and then and that's where most animals sit. But the human has this other capability, and higher primates do too, of connection. Also, so do some. So do some. Like we know that whales have yep. have this aspect. Elephants, we're pretty sure have yeah. this. Have this. Um, so you're doing connection. And so what we should be doing when we're thinking about training our mental side is we should be thinking a lot about what's going on with our central nervous system and how it's mediating these stressors. And 
Um, so I spend a good bit of time talking about this stuff because to me, it's like when you're in the middle of a race, you need to realize when things start to go bad and you start looking at your watch and it starts to say you're 10 seconds per mile slower on that mile. Okay, what are you going to do? You're going to fight. Almost always we fight. We draw, we, we're safe enough. We feel safe enough. Okay, So we're safe enough that we can then get into that inquisitive. We're inquisitive, right? So we're in that state and we're like, oh, my, my number's not what I want it to be. So I try to fight. Most of us do, especially if we've been well-trained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We start fighting for it. We want it. We go after it. Yeah. We fight. We're not going to just take it, right? right? We don't run away. Some people do, but most people, they're trained well enough not to do that. They actually had to spend a lot of money, travel to the event. They're not going to be first option as flight, hopefully. Right. They fight. But eventually, if they can't fight, they're going to think about flight. And what flight is, in my opinion, this is disassociation. Yep. So flight, instead of, 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 of running away, Physically, it's running away mentally. So yeah. what will happen as we get to 18 and a half, you know, 30K to 38K yep. in a marathon, people are moving from fight to flight. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully they don't freeze. Hopefully they don't go into that lowest safety yeah. net. Because flight, fight means, okay, I'm not safe. I'm not safe. You're starting to realize, okay, uh, 10 seconds slow, 10 seconds slow, 20 seconds slow, 20 seconds. I'm not safe. I'm not going to get my thing. Yeah. So then they just disassociate is one option or they freeze or they, they just they just shut down in there. Disassociation kind of stays in it, but then they'll focus on, oh, my legs are so heavy. My yep. legs are so heavy. My legs are so heavy. The freeze is <laughs> not death, but you've seen it. You've been there before. You just shut off. Yeah. You see them. They're just like, there's no mental. In fact, a lot of times people can't even remember what happened in right. that phase. Um and, and I think this is a nervous system mediation. I think the nervous system basically throws you into, this comes into Tim Noakes' work about the central governor theory. I think that the nervous system says, this dude's not safe, so we are going to dis, we're just going to, if she, if she cannot handle and can't fight and she's going to go into flight, I think it's better that I need to be thinking about whether or not I need to drop. Is this a safe thing for her to be doing? Should well, it I was like her to do that? When I told you when, in, when I was in middle school running the 800, how at 150 to go every single time, my brain would just go. Yep. Because that was when nobody was running any faster. They were trying not to run slower. And that hurts. So, and that's, and I would just go. So through poly, the idea of polyvagal theory, I came up with this plan that I've been working in, it's starting to work, of saying to people when they get into that state, when they start to feel themselves, they're off, they start to fight, I say to them, stop fighting, connect. Yeah. Look around for something to connect to. Put some music on. Think of a song in your own head. If you, Some people can listen to music, some people can't. USATF still says it's illegal. What the fuck's that all about anyway? Like You can't wear headphones in some races. I don't understand. I can understand that at the elite level, but yeah. I mean, whatever. It's like telling people smoking dope is, is, is going to be a performance enhancer. No, to who? <laughs> I mean, maybe if you're running 200 miles and you can't eat and you can't get food, maybe that is, but I can't think of it otherwise. Anyway, um, I do think that, so connecting, so I, I really say think about gratitude. Yep. Think about the people you're running with or against. So if I were competing at the collegiate level or the pro level again, what I would do is I would look over and see at my greatest competitor as making me better. I know that theoretically, but in that moment, if you're flight fight, you're either going to try to go negative or you're going to check out. What if you connected? What if you said, this is what it's all about? This is what it's all about. I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be feeling this pain. I'm connected to my body. I'm not disassociated. I'm associated. I'm in it. 
And I think we can train the nervous system to do this. I think this is what mental training should be. Mm -hmm. All mental training should be as what you talked about, working on intention as you're doing speed work and fast stuff mm -hmm. to try to say, how is this helping me? What's my intention? Why am I doing this? What's the point of it all? Because the point of it all has got to be something higher in order for it to sustain the ability to get through the flight fight response. Yep. When we talk about the flow state, what we're talking about is a point of in which the human brain is automatically connected without being online. So you don't have to think about it because the correct amount of stress in terms of of, of challenge and stress, which is I want to run under three and you're ready to run under three, but it's going to be hard. Yeah. That aligns with your preparation and those two, the stress or the goal and the, and the, and the preparation match, but they're this, the, the goal is just a little bit beyond your reach. So you have to kind of meta, you got to kind of lift, you kind of got to get something extra and that extra comes mysteriously through the functioning of the nervous system. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, I, in my worldview, I don't think God comes in and creates a special space that makes something happen. Some people will define it that way. I've got no problem with that when somebody feels like they have a miraculous situation. But I think the flow state just indicates that the miraculous situation we're talking about is just a complex, adaptive nervous system responding appropriately and Accurately to the situation, there's stress, death is potential, serious death to my identity, death to who I want to be, all those things. Then you, do you connect to that? Do you engage with that? Or does, do you shut down with that? If you shut down with that, it's over, it's finished. Very rarely can you get back. Right. I have had people slow down and then I'll say, okay, now look around and look. I'll tell them to act, say thank you to a cop or to a water stop person or to somebody on the side and just say, just, and I said, it'll just sound crazy. Just try it. And they'll be like, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you did. Boop. All of yep. a sudden shift, immediate shift. Like that was like magic. Um, it's not, it's like we have this higher capacity. We have, and, and higher may not be the right word. Cause you know, anytime we're talking about hierarchies, yeah. it's dangerous, but humans are different special but we are not just apes we're, we're a different kind of ape and so if we have this attribute of connection and i do like these other animals do too but if yeah. you have this ability to connect why don't we use it so this is my theory about what's going on and when we talk about this in other programs when they talk about mental training when they're talking about the mind i would just argue to you to say don't confuse the mind with the brain and don't confuse what you might be doing in the quiet of your own home with visualization and and, and intention setting and meditation, those are all wonderful things, but they do not really do the job when the rubber meets the road, when the crux situation happens, when the moment of choice, when the decision inflection point is upon you, you will have to have trained that. This is my view. This is why my training system incorporates these kinds of stressors at the end of races, yeah. uh, end of workouts, to try to simulate those experiences that people will have. And then I try to get them to connect, to try to bring themselves out of those negative feedback loop spaces. Um, because you can slow them down or reframe them or readjust them and get them to go. And I've only been working on this for the last year and a half, two years, and it people who engage with it have found it remarkably yeah. effective. It feels a little strange and weird, but um, to me, every day I talk about it, every time I think about it, it just seems to make more and more sense. So, Well, I remember in 
must have been, oh, it was 07, 08, maybe even 06, when I was living in Albuquerque. And whatever the, whatever the meet, the cross-country race that UNM put on every year in Colorado, it was fun because Colorado came down and there would be, there'd be some really good teams. And um, I remember hearing some of the coaches um, say, as an athlete came by, relax your face or relax your hands or relax, you know, one of the, like, and, but, and it wasn't the same cue each time each athlete had a different cue. And I was like, wow. And so each athlete got a different cue to remind herself or himself what you were just talking about. Yes. Yeah. And, and then, then they don't have to use any more glycogen to work out this is why it's important to know your strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To know your goals, you know, know your goals, know your strategies, know your plan, how you're going to implement, what you're going to do with all that stuff. Because, yeah. you know, one of the most exp- people don't realize this, but the brain is super expensive to use. It's one of the most expensive aspects of staying alive in terms of fueling for yeah. us. When our brain, so when we're in racing, this is why the flow state is so incredibly impactful, because your brain is not operate it's 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 not beyond the brain it's just you're not having to be conscious about the choices being made and so it costs a lot less energy it's mm-hmm. pretty interesting yeah so well that's our four systems we were in typical keep going fashion a little messy and a little meandering i john i said this might be an hour this might be a uh, 30 45 minutes How it's long an hour been? and 25 minutes is in. it really yes Holy shit. so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so if you stayed with us, hopefully you got something thank out you. of it. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for your patience. Um, we're going to put this out whether or not it may be the one episode that gets like 200 listens and no more than that or whatever. You know, so you get many listens. You know, maybe if you uh, augment with sound effects along with <laughs> <laughs> What is that one? There we go. I can't hear him. I know. So. That's, uh, <laughs> that's Michael's favorite one. All right, oh, guys. That's for Michael. Yeah, we we thank you for listening, and uh, we'll get back at you next time. I think we're probably going to move off the systems for a week or two, and then we'll come back to it with probably one of our first um, breakdowns. I think we'll probably start with Author Lydiard because it just seems to make sense, yeah. and then we can kind of backtrack through history if we need to, um, or we could do uh, up to Lydiard, right, and then Lydiard or something like that, but. We appreciate you guys. Hopefully you found this interesting and useful. And um, until next time, Godspeed.